Hi, and welcome to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre, and your host for today. For a long time now, we've been writing and blogging about a whole range of topics and people that we come across in our day-to-day life as physios at SSPC. And whilst you can still gain access to all our articles and blogs and look back through the archives via our SSPC website, we know that it's simpler, easier and more convenient to bring the information direct to your ears. Day in and day out as physios, we are trying our best to optimise human performance. And that's not always just in a sporting performance sense, it's often life performance that's even more important. Just being able to get back to your absolute best despite some back pain, an arthritic knee joint or a sore and stiff shoulder. But anyway, it doesn't matter what problem is we're dealing with or who the person is in front of us. Our goal is always to help our physio clients perform at their optimal level regardless of whatever limitation or hurdle might be put in front of them. And a big part of performing optimally is to prevent injury or further injury and recover well from whatever activity you may be undertaking. One of the problems in today's day and age is the abundance of information available. And as brilliant as Dr. Google can be, it can be equally as dangerous if you've got the wrong source of information. Sometimes things are presented so well in electronic mediums and they do sound so perfect, but when you dive deep into reality, a lot of that stuff out there just isn't quite correct. So, via our podcast, we're going to bring you all the information we can from our physiotherapy world. We'll break it into easy-to-understand chunks of information and we'll educate you on how to perform at your best, prevent injury and recover well. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the previous episodes and today we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look at the topic of recovery. And we're going to look at a couple of the different commonly used recovery modalities and work out whether they're actually doing what we think they're doing. And today's guest who's going to help us with this topic is Emily McLean and we've got the advantage that we can question Emily from both a physiotherapy perspective and from an athlete perspective as well. So the idea is to look back on a research project that Emily completed about four years ago and have a look at the topics that came up at that time and what she found and whether the recovery strategies have changed much over the time and what the current thinking is. We'll look at what Emily uses in her advice as a physio and also what she uses herself as an athlete and see if there's any differences between the two. And this will lead us into the next few sessions into delving a lot deeper and a lot more specifically into each recovery modality independently. So today we'll give you an overview of what's out there and what the research is telling us and what we're advising people and we'll look forward to the next episodes where we get even more specific with each one. So enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thanks, Anthony. Happy to be here. 
Good, great to have you along. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, recovery today, but first let's get a little bit into just your background. Um, firstly, yep. as a physio. Yes. So do you want to just tell us where it all began, your physio career, and right up until where you're at now? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, well, I've always worked in private practice, and most of the time I've worked with you. Yes. Um, in addition to that, I've worked with um, some athletics teams, especially in my old school um, and in another school as well. Um, so, yeah, in terms of my physio stuff, it's pretty much all been private practice and athletics-related stuff and looking after kids with injuries and um, overuse injuries mostly. Great. And you graduated in... Oh, God. Um, 2015, I think. Okay, from... Yeah. Monash. With honours? Yeah, with honours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in that year that it was called Advanced Research. Okay, excellent. And so from physio, you've had running concurrently your own athletics career. So again, can you give us just a little bit of background on what you've done and what you're still doing? I don't know if you'd call it a career. <laughs> yeah, well. um, but I have kept up, yeah, doing athletics um, and competing it's mostly in 400 hurdles, a bit in 400s, um, 400 hurdles for nationals at a national level. Uh, yeah. Yep. And does that remain your interest with your physio treating? Is it, is it aths and hurdles in particular or doing a bit of everything? Yeah, look, I do love treating runners. Interestingly, distance runners, I really okay. find um, a challenge. I do like working with sprinters, but I particularly like working with distance runners. Yeah, okay. And so let's um, let's get into our topic for today, which is recovery. And it's all come about because you did a little research project a little while ago, just looking at a few various modalities. So yeah. again, can you tell us how did that come about and, and why were you doing this little project? Sure. So I think it was fourth year uni. Um, I had to do a project for my placement uh, and I chose recovery methods because it's an interesting thing for me given my um, training in athletics at the time. Uh, so I just wanted to see what other ways I could maximise my recovery uh, beyond what I was doing. Okay. And can you think back at that time? So that was four years? Four years plus. Thereabouts. Yeah. Yep. Can you think back to that time before you went into that research, what was your number one recovery tool? What, what was the main thing out at that time that people were doing? That people were doing? Yeah. God, a lot of us weren't doing much really, especially in athletics. Um, like definitely f uh, food was a big one yep, that I okay. always focused on, but I think yep. that's just because I loved eating. Uh, <laughs> there was a bit of the sort of water stuff. So like your contrast, your cold water, that sort of thing. Um, lots of people were getting massages and mucking around with different self-massage tools as well if we're going to talk about adjuncts. Um, and there were some of the things I included in my little project as well. Yeah, sure. And I suppose that probably sums it up that as little as four or five years ago, people were doing lots of different little things and, and we've got a lot better with the research that's come about um, telling us probably what does have effect and, and what doesn't. Yeah. Can you remember, so you were playing around with a few different things, did you go into this little project expecting to find anything in particular, anything startling? Yeah, I was expecting to find not much in terms right. of that there wasn't going to be a large um, effect on any of the things I was looking at. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking at the time. Okay. So recovery, I suppose, one of the big aims of it is mm. to reduce 
post-exercise soreness um, and yep. enable us to be ready for the next session, be that training or event. So let's start with just a couple of simple definitions. Um, Exercise-induced muscle soreness and, and DOMS, mm-hmm. which is familiar to a lot of people, delayed yep. onset muscle soreness. So what do those two terms mean to you? Uh, sore muscles. <laughs> Um, feeling fatigued Uh, in terms of at a physiological level you're looking at changes in some of the concentrations of things in your in your blood Um, if we want to list them it's like I think interleukin 6 and like C-reactive protein um, doesn't mean much to anyone really. Pretty yeah. much they're things that are in anti-inflammatories, pro-inflammatories, uh, tissue damage as well is something that sure. comes to mind. And yeah, pain. If we go back again just to simply recovery, what's your definition of recovery? So recovery, um, I think, is getting yourself back to the level required for your next training session. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be completely recovered. So if we're considering the training session you've done and its relationship to the next training session, uh, if you have a lighter session coming up and you're trying to get those benefits of being able to train under some fatigue, then you don't need to be fully recovered. If you're looking at a highly technical, high-intensity session uh, where you need to give it your 100%, then that's perhaps a a place where you need to be fully recovered. So I think it depends on, on the relationship from one session to the next as well. Absolutely. And recovery, when we talk about recovery, it's not always a case of being uh, or having to recover back to a complete state of recovery, is it? Like you're not Mm. always looking between sessions at getting back to 100%. 100%? No, definitely not. Um, If you're considering um, sports where you have to compete multiple times in a weekend, I'm going to use athletics as an example, heats and finals. Sometimes you want to replicate that in training where you're not fully recovered before your next session. Yep, okay. Um, So if we go to your study um, or your research, which again was was quite some years ago, but part of the idea is to look at what uh, you found then and what some of the differences are now. So you looked at um, a couple of specific topics because obviously under the umbrella of recovery, there's many, many different facets that people can look at but but let's start with cold water immersion yep what did you find what did i find Um, what is it and what did you find cold water immersion uh that's jumping into some really cold water it's normally under 10 degrees or so now um and staying there for a period of time uh, what I've found is that it'll have a, an effect on your perceived uh, fatigue and your perceived DOMS. Um, if you're in there for 11 to 15 minutes, for and it can actually go up to 11 to 15 degrees now actually, sorry, not right. 10. Um, so yeah, looking at those things. In terms of looking at actual blood level stuff, uh, it has a small effect on, on some of those things, but the most pronounced effects are, are on your perceived DOMS and perceived fatigue. Okay, so you're saying in effect that the biggest benefit maybe is psychological more than physical. Correct, yeah. Yeah, okay, which is interesting considering that most people jumping into an ice bath psychologically Uh, don't like it. No, and it hurts a lot of the time. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think um, ice in particular... is a little bit controversial in its own right too because there's a bit of a theory around now about uh, ice and and how necessary is it. And for many, many years it's been a bit of a non-negotiable. Like we go to, we just all recoiled our first aid last weekend and the soft tissue side was all rest, ice, compress, elevate. But 
but ice now um, is having some questions asked about it which is which is good and the cold water immersion certainly has seen changes where we've gone from really teams in particular i suppose jumping into cold water yeah that's right (laughs) but um now realizing maybe that we need to be a bit smarter with with who and 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 when and do the whole team need to do this sort of therapy yeah yeah have you had much experience along those lines a little bit different but with there seems to be cryotherapy chambers now where people go into cool rooms do you i know that wasn't part of your study but no and i know some people who have done it and i've definitely seen a lot of photos on instagram of it and looks very fancy and almost extraterrestrial sometimes um but i haven't i haven't read anything about it myself uh it's not something that yeah is that common um i'm not sure how much of it like if cold's not having that much of an effect physiologically is that gonna change things sure i mean you're not getting that compression from the water which could actually be beneficial um what do you think yeah i tend to agree like my again this is the thing my personal opinion now with my treating is that compression is probably my first go-to mechanism for many injuries and certainly as a form of recovery more so than always going to ice Uh, and i think again you know the literature tells us that uh water conducts uh temperature you know 25 times better than air so if you're looking at a cold effect then you're probably going to look at at water versus air um for a start cheaper too that's cheaper (laughs) um so yeah i i think as i said i i think compression is is more my go-to thing these days and and we'll probably talk a little bit more well we will talk about a bit more compression and how compression uh is so important and water has such you know we tend to think of the water with with cold but its compressive properties are probably as beneficial if not more beneficial so if we leave the cold water immersion yep. with the thought that you know the water is good and it does have uh, probably a, a psychological or perceived effect more so than physiological, which is still important for an athlete. Absolutely, if they think they feel better, then they're going to run a bit better as well, or perform a bit better. Absolutely. Um, so next, you had a bit of a look at contrast water therapy. Yep. So again, do you want to define that? for us and tell us what you found with contrast water therapy yeah sure so um contrast is when you go from a hot um environment often a body of water um to uh, a cold a cold environment water um so you're looking at less than 15 degrees for cold and more than 38 degrees for hot um and there's a few different protocols out there in terms of how long you spend in each of those uh, and the idea back in the day it used to be that you're getting this contracting and relaxing of um or, or restriction sorry and um vi- like dilation of your uh veins and vessels um now not so sure uh again in terms of the research you're looking at a change in your doms so your perceived muscle soreness um but not no other sort of benefits there that yeah. they found Okay, and so for your average athlete, you can hop into a cold bath and put a few ice cubes in it or we've seen people standing in wheelie bins with ice cubes in it. So cold water immersion, the ocean, again, there's there's lots of ways that 
really anybody can do cold water immersion yes. but how does an average person is do a shower that? hot and cold is that is that? I've done it and I don't know if it works yeah um and I don't think I don't know I don't, I'm not sure there'd be anything out there that's compared a shower versus like um, a hot pool of water uh, I was lucky enough to have a crack at this um, particular recovery method at North Melbourne Football Club and they had to like they had a spa and sure. a, like a um, plunge pool i think that's the best way to do it but the average person it's tough like yeah. you're gonna need two baths of water essentially yep okay um compression garments was number yep. three on your list so yeah. it seems like um not only every athlete but every second person walking down the streets got compression yeah i got mine on. on now you have yeah um, uh what did you find so with compression, um, again, I found a reduction in um, delayed onset muscle soreness um, and a little bit of perceived fatigue. The interesting thing was no one came to a conclusion of how long you have to wear them for um, right. or the grading of that compression either. So it really didn't matter too much with the grading of compression. They still had a bit of an effect. It had no change on, on your blood levels of um, those markers of inflammation and um, muscle damage. And as we mentioned before, too, I think with compression, the statistics tell us that that if you're in about waist deep water, you've got... 150 to 160 millimetres of mercury pressure at mm. your ankle, whereas you've got, uh, I think it's about 20, 20 millimetres yeah. of mercury pressure. So again, if you, I suppose it also comes back to why are you using any particular modality? And mm. if you're looking at compression around the ankle, you'd, you'd be better off going and in standing the in the water than having compression gear on. Mm. Um, and they're also, it's interesting that um, looking at footwear, the latest footwear, seems to be pushing towards like there's no real proof that shoes reduce injury, injury per no. se yeah. but that's the next push trying to find the runner that does reduce injury and they think that controlling vibration is the next big injury production thing so maybe you know i recall seeing the tennis players in ultimate slow-mo and you look at that rapid oscillation of muscle and yeah. look maybe there's some reduction in in post-exercise soreness if you're controlling Muscle, yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, Rightio, the one that probably everybody who does any serious athletics uh, loves to get is a massage. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What were the findings <laughs> in your in your little research project? Uh, it had a pretty significant effect on DOMS, actually more so than some of the other um, recovery okay. methods. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and your perceived fatigue as well. So massage was actually pretty effective, like similar um, things that we're looking at here in terms of your perceived fatigue, uh, but a little bit greater of a uh, treatment effect. Uh, the interesting thing about massage as well, though, is it depends on who does it and their techniques. So it's a really hard one to measure in a, in like in research. Sure. Uh, they sort of suggested um, 30 minutes of massage immediately after, up to two hours after exercise. But that's just, I guess, what they did in those studies and it seemed to work. But can you do it at other times? Who knows? But it does uh, seem to have a change on those things. Yeah, okay. So it's interesting, isn't it, out of out of all of those things we, we look at, uh, the cold water, the contrast water and the compression and, and reality tells us there's not really a lot of conclusive evidence on what they do and you can sort of include massage in that as well as yeah. that there is some evidence but there's no real absolute do or absolute don't is there no definitely not and what um i suppose what has come out we've talked about all of these commonly used things that, that we we're still really not sure quite what they uh do 
But what has come out as uh, like a foundation of recovery mm. principle is sleep and nutrition. Oh, yeah. And neither of us are qualified, obviously, to advise people uh, well on yeah. nutrition, but certainly sleep. Um, can you tell us just a little bit from your yeah. own physio knowledge and the athletics you do yourself, just how, how much sleep is important to your performance? Yourself? Individually? Yeah, how much do you use yeah. sleep yourself? So, sleep, yeah, sleep is one of those foundation recovery methods uh, and is one of the most important, especially for me. I look for about eight and a half hours per night. Right. I have tried to increase it a little bit. I find it difficult, but eight and a half is what I go for. Okay, and what do you, other than obviously timing there, so... Uh, I presume you've got to be up at a certain time for work, so you need to be in bed or training. You've got to be in bed at a certain time. Are there any other pre-sleep strategies that you use to get to sleep or to try not to keep you awake? Yeah, definitely. I'm not the best one at it in our squad. It's something that we talk about quite a bit though. Uh, Mindfulness is a really like useful one that a lot of the boys will use. I have tried it a little bit. I'm not great at it. Might so those mindfulness apps are one okay, is yep. one method. Um, for me, I try and avoid screen time an hour before I go to sleep yep. to wind down a little bit. Um, I've tried, you know, warm drinks and that sort of thing. But my go-to, because something that keeps me up is all the things I have to do the next day. This is very individual to me. I just write them all down on a piece of paper and close it. So then I'm not running through it in my head while I'm trying to sleep. Okay. That's a great idea. And what about with you, if you put your physio hat on, a client comes in with uh, some sort of athletic type injury, how often do you find yourself asking or addressing sleep with them? Is that something you commonly question an athletic client on? Yeah, so it's definitely not something I cover in the first time I meet them because I just want to work out what's going on and and get them started on on the thing that's uh, my area of of expertise, which is physical sort of rehab. But definitely if they're an athlete that's doing a lot um, and, you know, as we're having those general conversations about their training and, you know, you talk about their work and I start to hear that they're actually loading themselves quite a lot because work is part of your overall load for the day and a lot of people forget that. Um, then sometimes I will ask them, what's your nutrition like? What's your sleep like? Especially if they're sounding quite stressed um, or they're, yeah, trying to fit too much into their day. It is something that comes up sometimes, yes. Yeah, okay. And do you find um, do you find that there's a more common uh, area you can address with sleep, be it just lack of hours, be it people are on screens, be it people are stressing? Is there any common theme with people that you see trying to fit too much into their day and sleep is compromised because of that yeah absolutely yeah most common okay and what um because this is another interesting topic about why do swimmers have to be in the pool at 5 30 a.m you know because that's compromising sleep in its own right like with aths what do you have many early morning sessions god no we're precious have you ever met a sprinter (laughs) (laughs) no we um we try and look after ourselves i mean a lot of the people i come across are training in the middle of the day because they want to sleep in and they're um don't have much on for the rest of the day uh so yeah no we're not trying to do early morning sessions but that's just because we just can't be bothered most yeah, of the time yeah yeah but <laughs> it is an interesting point you think yeah. you know obviously there's reasonings why they do but 
in populations like swimmers, then sleep becomes even more critical because they're yeah. no doubt losing sleep in the early morning hours yes. of the day just because they, they have to be up. Um, so um, so we've had a good, I said, we, we start off looking at physical modalities of, of recovery and what yeah. seems to be coming up is psychological factors. Yes, um, with all those it, adjuncts. Is, is what they are really yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, and we know that psychological stress has a has a large physiological and hormonal response on our bodies so mm. that that's going to affect recovery so obviously you've mentioned it that you see stress as um, uh, a big part of well in our daily life with our with our clients be it that they that might contribute to underperformance or under recovery um, you touch on it again but work and even with the population we deal with uh, at Halebury let's yes. say with the students yep. um, it's a significant part of their daily load that is not appreciated in people's um, thoughts is it yes. when they're talking about their load yeah. Their daily load yeah. is critical. Yeah, correct. Definitely. You're talking about their study and the Absolutely. All that sort of thing. Stress, yeah. yes. exams, yes. relationships, yeah. work stress. And, and it's something that when I came back from um, glandular fever um, was a huge topic I had with my uh, sports doctor. Um, so I was trying to balance a lot of fatigue and trying to work it and, and get back into training. So I went to my sports doctor to chat about that. Um, and we had a big discussion around workload is part of your overall load social yep. life is part of your overall load and you need to consider all of those things when you're then trying to put training on top of all of that yeah 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 absolutely and i think you know for us as uh physios um but also for athletes who are looking i mean load management is such a massive topic mm. these days yes. but load management tends to uh take into account the minutes you've done and the intensity you've done them at in yes. terms of sport but we really need to take a a, a much better look uh at at the daily workload and and yeah. the stresses in in someone's life because it's quite interesting too that you know, we know that to recover well, the brain needs rest. Yes. Uh, a lot of people, particularly younger people, uh, will go home and consider themselves resting at night but be on their phones and you've mentioned it a few times, yes. Instagram and the rest of it. And yes. what you're actually doing at the time you think you're you're recovering is you're actually still feeding your brain with multiple input and multiple stimulus. Oh, a huge amount of yeah. stimulus, yeah. Um, so like you said, that hour before bed, even if it's just that with no input, is 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 really quite important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so if leading into that in, in terms of recovery, um, sleep, uh, too much brain stimulus, etc., um, that can lead to poor training sessions mm. uh, or a bad training session. Yes. Do you have many of them yourself? Oh, yeah. Th- Heaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's been times where my coach has just called it for the day and said, go home, yeah. you're not... You know, you're not performing how how you normally would, and I can see that you're just really fatigued. Yeah. Okay. Which is a good. Um, that's interesting because that's a good attitude to have because I, I certainly um, have found from uh, years of being involved in sport that people having a bad session will often try harder within that session, yeah, or they'll push come back. To punish them. That's right. Yep. They'll come back next session and and do double the amount to make up for a bad session. Right. But we really need to understand that. Um, a bad session is okay. Yes. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, it's okay to have it. It's going to happen because sometimes you're just going to be in that really hard training block, be working really hard and you just haven't recovered properly or recovered to the point where you can perform in that next session. And it is such a hard thing to do as an athlete to have the mental strength to say, hey, this is enough for today because you always feel guilty about not completing a session, pulling out of a rep, but if sometimes you just need to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and that, that brings us into uh, another sort of new-ish uh, topic, which is periodized recovery. So yes. again, I think uh, one of my frustrations in, I mean, it's great that we're such an evidence-based profession these days, but it seems it's gone the way that if there's no evidence, we don't do it, but it's not quite that simple. And so people have taken on this recovery uh, philosophy and just taken it with we have to recover and we have to do this and there's a lot of things as we've seen that don't have a um, you know a lot of evidence around them. So we're now talking a little bit about periodizing recovery similar to how you might periodize your training. So can you talk a little bit first about how you periodize your training simply like in terms of um, what you might do a long way out from a, an event, what you might do when you're at the peak of your training fitness and what you might do closer to an event, which is what we would call yep. periodized training. Yeah, sure. So yes, I can talk about periodized training. Um, so we do our training blocks in, in four-week blocks. There will always be three hard weeks, one lighter week. Yep. Um, and lighter weeks, still 75 or 85% of your loading. Uh, in the off-season, winter season, the volume will be much larger. Uh, we'll be covering more Ks technically um, and just be yeah doing oh, not more sessions. It's more the volume. Once we're coming up to competition, at the start of competition, the volume's still quite high and competition just adds to that. When we're getting to the more serious competition, then the training blocks will start to become more about um, technique, intensity, and less about the volume. So the volume drops right back. The recoveries increase between repetitions, for example, because we're talk- sure. I'm talking about running and athletics. Uh, and the intensity and technical stuff will be more important. Yeah, okay. And so that's pushed into the field of recovery in terms of thinking that maybe we should periodize our recovery and it's not necessarily after every session that you need to... Have a full recovery. Exactly. So has that crept into your athletic domain definitely yeah and yeah i think we can split that recovery up into two things recovery in the session so recovery between repetitions recovery between sets and that definitely changes depending on what type part of the season that we're in um and yes recovery does um change uh in the week as well so there'll be some sessions as technical speed high intensity sessions that we want to be fully recovered for uh competition where we want to be fully recovered for so we can perform at our best and other sessions where we won't be fully recovered um and we're looking at more of a slow slower speed thing more volume we have a little bit of soreness in our legs from the day before and that's beneficial in its own way going back to when i was talking about at multiple days of competition and having that sort of um just being that robust athlete where you can compete for an entire weekend is also important yeah and i think too and and this is um very interesting in its own right and and it's part of the ice debate that you know if 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 we have an injury and the body has a natural healing mechanism do we want to be dampening that too much with ice and the same with recovery there's a thought around at the moment that 
uh, when you train, you get some soreness, yeah. you get a little bit of muscle damage, you yes. get some fatigue, you might have a bit of inflammation, but that is actually all part of the body's uh, ability to adapt and yeah, become definitely. more resilient. And, and do we actually want to dampen that? I, especially like in in the off season when you're trying to, yeah, get fitter, get faster. I don't think so. And I think also this is just my like personal opinion um, that how we feel after a session is a good indication of how long um, we need before we need to, to train again. Sure. Um, so if you're super, super sore and can hardly move, well, why try and dampen that? Just let your body recover and then go into your next session. Um yeah, and if we're looking to what's actually going on at a blood level as well, you're right, yeah, there's a lot of things going on in there that we actually need to use yeah. to let our muscles recover and rebuild and all those sorts of things. So I don't think we necessarily need to completely dampen those yeah, yeah. off-season. And I think it comes back to, because you, you touched on this as well, that um, uh, depending on what part of the season you're at, so that if you have you know AFL footballers that have got to compete at an intense level week after week mm. after week you're probably going to want more recovery strategies in place than yeah, somebody definitely. let's take a marathon runner who might have two marathons a year that doesn't necessarily might want to go through a long period which might be two or three months of mm. adaptation with other than sleep and nutrition um, perhaps minimal of the older accepted recovery modalities yeah, yeah. And I think with any athlete as well, um, that's that's the key is the nutrition and sleep. Get that right first because that's like your big like cake of your recovery and everything else is like the icing and the sprinkles on the cakes, the adjuncts, yep. the extra things that make you recover a little bit quicker. But if you don't have your diet right and you sleep right, then there's no point in doing the other things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and if we look at, um, again, in line with, with recovery, we probably have as many people coming into us saying that they're or they're, they're fearful of overtraining mm. when in effect they're probably undertraining um, or they're poorly recovered. Yeah. Uh, so w- would you agree and do you see that, that undertraining is probably more of a problem than people realise rather than overtraining? Yeah, well, it's an interesting topic. Um, I was listening to uh, Shona Halson's uh, podcast uh, earlier this week, actually, and she was sort of suggesting that she'd only really ever seen um, three or four truly overtrained athletes. So this is someone who actually specialises in um, recovery uh, in sport. Um, She's at the AIS. Yeah. Um, And so what she was sort of saying is that you're more seeing people who are under training of because of the fear of of the over of overtraining and when you're under training you're not going to get those physiological benefits of training um or we're seeing people who are just not recovering properly so they're sore and tired because they're, they're doing the train they're not overtraining, but they're just not recovering to let them feel good for the next session yeah yeah and i think that again if it fits into our very first podcast where we we found that um load management became more an issue of people doing too little load and so people uh rather than just uh focusing on the fear of overtraining actually uh need to train more and need to put more attention into good recovery strategies 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw the most benefit in my training when I was consistently training hard and training yep. well. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you're fatigued at the start and you have to you spend a little bit more time recovering or whatever. Um, but if you keep it consistent over time, you can train harder um, and you recover better. And that's when you see the improvements on the track as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's, um, what I want to do is finish on a little bit uh, of just a personal note of what you do yourself uh, with your training, yeah. with your rafts. Yeah. Uh, so you have the, well, call it advantage of having the physio knowledge, yeah. but putting it into your own athletic performance, which doesn't always work because when you're a, an athlete, you're an athlete. When you're a physio, you're a physio. Right. We don't always combine them well. No. <laughs> but, so tell me, do you ever ice an injury? Do you ever ice a soreness? My own injuries? Yes. No, I don't. Yeah? <laughs> I just... Oh, I've just never needed to. I, yeah, I've, I've done a small hamstring tear, but I just didn't feel like I... This sounds terrible. Is it? This is when you can't cross being an athlete and a physio. Yeah. But no, I've never iced my own injuries. Okay. Yep. Do you tell your clients to ever? Is there ever an incident or an If they're in a lot of pain, sure. then yes. And if there's significant amount, oh, I mean, does it help with swelling? Uh, mostly when they're in a lot of pain because it numbs sure. things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, that's exactly right. Is that the, I think the biggest... Uh, shown benefit of ice is pain relief yeah. so you know if you're doing it for that great if you're doing it expecting to uh, significantly constrict blood vessels and reduce swelling well you might be missing the point and maybe yeah. compression is 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 better yeah um, rightio this is another can of worms we're going to open um, do you stretch do I stretch static stretch well any stretching static in particular do you do uh, you let's start with that no no I don't static stretch yep Ever, really. I mean, maybe because it feels good sometimes. It's not in my training. No. Yep. Dynamic stretching? Yes. Yep. So what do you, can you, can, can you explain what what you do? Sure. So um, it feeds into then our, into our drills, which yep. um, is part of our warm-up. And I think one of the most important things of our warm-up in any sport, because most of them are some sort of running based or whatever uh, dynamic stretches for us it's just leg swings all those sure. sorts of things uh, we'll do sort of slower movements taking up um, legs through full range um, walking forward so it might be like knees to chest or a glute sort of almost a stretch but it's not quite a static stretch it's it's hard to describe I'd have to show yep. um, but hopefully some people can um, visualize some of them like the leg swings they're the sort of stuff that we'll, we'll do quite a bit yeah. yeah okay and I think thankfully that's crept into a lot of sport because where the literature is reasonably certain is that static stretching particularly as a form of injury reduction or injury mm. prevention doesn't doesn't really work but the dynamic stretching um, is certainly a lot more effective in, in that field yeah definitely and then with drills as well I mean it's setting your um, neuromuscular pathway up to do the movement that you want to do yep. um, and warming yourself up to that so I think that's a really important thing to do yeah and we haven't really spoken about um, active recovery which has been another big um, almost like active stretching yeah but the whereas we used to think massage was great for removal of lactic acid and yeah, yeah we now know that the best thing to do is an active recovery which is the same sort of thing which is yeah. get your muscles don't look for a passive modality per se but look at, at activity to both warm up and and to and to cool down definitely yeah yep. um do you use any sort of water immersion therapy uh yeah yeah we do um again it's it's that 
but you know perceived benefit is important sometimes um it's cold it it numbs your body and it it makes you actually kind of feel good and fresh i actually like the feeling of getting out of the water after being in it for 10 or 15 minutes so i'll use it as a mental thing sometimes just cold so not yeah just jump in the in the ocean Yeah. yeah for how long 11 minutes because (laughs) in the studies that is the minimum time required. (laughs) Okay, love it. Um, Do you ever get a massage? I do, not often. Okay. Not often. Uh, Has it sometimes to make me feel better? Sometimes I actually do love the needles in my glute. Uh, Again, that is probably just a subjective thing. Um, But yeah, sometimes. Okay. Not often. What do you think over the years has been the single biggest change to recovery that you've made in your own program? Let's go back to four or five years to now. Diet. Right. Yeah. So after I sort of fell apart after one nationals, um, I went to a dietitian and we chatted a bit about diet and the biggest change i've made is my to my recovery snacks after after running yeah Yeah. and that um i saw a huge benefit with that for uh gym sessions and actually getting gains out of gym sessions um and after training as well okay and and obviously this is such an individual topic but just out of interest what do you what do you use what are your snacks for uh yogurt i try and keep it pretty natural yeah. Um, she always would recommend some sort of protein, some sort of, you know, carbohydrate essentially. Sure. So yogurt and apple um, is probably like my go-to. Um, tuna, love a can of tuna. Everyone yep. here knows that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I try to avoid those like pre-packaged protein things. Okay. On, on occasion, on the run, I'll grab one. Okay. Milk, chocolate milk. Chocolate milk is my absolute favourite. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 great. And if if we finish up with, um, uh, do you have one pearl of wisdom regarding recovery yep. that you, if you were to sum it all up and say there's one thing that you could advise people in their sporting yep. life to use as recovery, what would it be? Sleep and diet. If you don't have those two things right, there's no point in trying any of the other things. Okay, great. Thanks. And thanks for being with us today. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me, Anthony. So there you have it, a general overview of some of the more common recovery methods used. In summary, I think the most important things to come out of today's podcast Uh, that there isn't a lot of conclusive evidence on the benefits of some of the more common methods, which, as we discussed, are water immersion therapy, compression and massage. But it does seem that each has their benefit in their own right. And one of the biggest benefits may actually be in perceived effect. But this perceived effect or the psychological effect of recovery can't be underestimated. I also think it's important for people to realise that when you have a bad training session, you don't have to view it as a bad session. It may just be your body's way of saying that it needs a bit of rest or it needs a longer recovery and that you don't need to necessarily try and get through that session and work harder and you don't need to come back next session and make up for it. You've just got to let that session be and... Do what you need to to get back into shape for your next session and make sure that your next session is as good as it can be. We also touched on how overtraining is actually less of an issue than we possibly think it is and 
maybe when we're getting soreness and, and not performing at the level we want to, it's possibly more to under recovery more so than overtraining. And as we've touched on in a few of the podcasts, there's also a large degree of undertraining going on in people, which is making them sore um, when maybe more consistent, harder training sessions are, are what need to, to happen to make the body more resilient. We also touched on the periodization of recovery, which is a relatively new topic that the athletic and medical world is looking into and how we don't actually need to recover after every single session because sometimes the body actually can and does need to adapt to stress and depending on what your training and competition schedule is, you may actually not want to be going too deep into recovery strategies um, but obviously if you've got competitive events coming up and certainly if you've got regular competition in a short period of time then recovery will become much more important and I think right towards the end Emily's pearl of wisdom was definitely the take-home message for the podcast which is that sleep and nutrition are definitely the evidence-based way to go if you're looking at the best ways to recover Um, and as she said if you don't get these two right then it's not even worth going into all the other recovery strategies and modalities that might be available to you so get your sleep right and, and if necessary get some nutrition advice to get that under control as well and you'll be well on your way to the best athletic performance that you can. Thanks for listening and we'll look forward in the next few sessions we've got on the agenda looking in far more depth at stretching and ice and what the evidence is telling us with those two topics. Thank you.